podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, welcome again. It is that time to pick up where we left off, everybody. We go verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter. We're in the middle of the first-ever missionary journey, obeying the Lord's words to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the gospel message that can save a soul from perishing and grant eternal life. And so on that very first missionary trip, a real problem develops and somebody has a belly flop kind of thing, a young man because of his uh, immaturity and his inexperience. Uh, But this is a story of redemption and there's a lot to learn, some beautiful insights. Let's go to the Lord and ask him for his help. Now, Father God, we look to you in these verses here that tell the story of a wonderful young man with great potential and promise who hits a speed bump and causes a lot of um, sorrow and disappointment and hinders the mission instead of helps. Uh, We pray, God, that we would see ourselves, find ourselves in the story, hear what your spirit is saying, and then put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, have you ever really just messed up big time? And not everybody has to raise their hand at once. (laughs) You just drop the ball, you embarrass yourself and those around you, and I called it in the prayer a big belly flop, right? For all the world to see, you know, you make life difficult for yourself and everyone around you. Most of us know what that feels like. And Today's passage is really encouraging if you are the person who did the misstep or you're the person who is um, had to suffer because of somebody else's blunder. This morning's text is just a one-liner. There's a story behind it. We touched upon it last week. Uh, but now it's time to drill down deeper because the very next verse in the sequence of the story is one line that just says, here they got to southern Turkey, they sailed there, Paul Barnabas and John Mark, and then that's the place where John Mark leaves the team and goes home. Was hardly started the trip at all, and for some reason he abandons the team and causes a lot of problems. But this is a story of uh, redemption. And so it's a great story. It would make a great Christian film. It's a story about promise and potential, as I've been saying. It's about self-centered immaturity and the damage that can do uh, to others and the Lord's work. It's also a story about second chances, reconciliation, how to bounce back, forgiveness, and finishing well. So we're listening in our hearts because we all want to finish well. In short, it's the story of the gospel, the good news, the greatest story of redemption ever. So let's back, uh, get back into the text, picking up where we left off here in Acts uh, chapter 13. Um, Here's the simple sentence, and then we're going to have to piece together the story because the story, the ramifications of John Mark abandoning the team uh, isn't unfolded for us in the text right here. We have to go throughout the New Testament and piece it all together. Why? Uh, Because the story in the book of Acts is not about John Mark, 
It's about the gospel and it's about the mission and it's about the Lord, you see. And so sometimes when we do make it all about us, that's part of the problem, if you know what I mean. So here's the sentence out of uh, chapter 13 and verse 13 from the capital city there of ancient Cyprus where they had just led the governor to the Lord, not without a battle from a Jewish sorcerer. Uh, that was a beautiful story last week. Uh, they pack up the, uh, the gear and Paul and his companions, that would be Pastor Barnabas and helper John Mark, sailed to southern Turkey, that's the city there in the region, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. You know, sometimes there's a matter-of-fact line that you say, like, you know, um, you just make a statement, and then you say, <laughs> there's a story there. Well, this is exactly what's going on. There's the story here. And I do call it the belly flop, um, because you know what I mean by that. It's a belly flop is one of those dives that just doesn't come together, does it? <laughs> right? And it's painful. It's not pretty. And it's used to describe figuratively an embarrassing epic fail. You see? And so we're going to get reacquainted with the one on the diving board. We're going to find out how did he even get on the diving board? What's he doing up there? How did the belly flop happen? And then how did he recover? Because nobody's going to remember the belly flop. Because by the end of the story, and because he responds godly and biblically to a fall from grace, as it were, he's going to be remembered as a hero. And so, yeah, that's, that's our highest hope for everything that's ever happened that's been negative in our lives, that God would turn it around and that we would see the silver lining. And there is a gold lining in this story. So yeah, can I jump already, already to four and five here? The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They go down to the port. They sail to Cyprus, verse five. When they arrive at Cyprus, a city there, they proclaim the word of uh, God in the Jewish synagogues. There's a whole sermon on this whole passage uh, last week. You can look it up. And by the way, John was their helper. And it is awkwardly placed in the text. Who is he? Where was he in the church service? <laughs> and all of this, it's like, hey, by the way, there's a guy on board and we meet him uh, that way. And uh, that's on purpose. That's on purpose. And I'll explain what I mean. So, note takers, uh, let's reintroduce John. He's good-natured. He's well-intentioned. We know a lot about him from all over the Bible. So I'll put it all together for you and just kind of describe the guy. You'll never think of John Mark the same. Good-natured, well-intentioned, full of promise, gifted, and privileged. This is a guy, spiritually speaking, who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I mean, it's unbelievable privilege. Number one, maybe you didn't know this, but he grew up with believing parents who are sort of famous in the Bible. They're very generous. They're tight with Jesus, the Son of God. They have a beautiful home in Jerusalem and a beautiful room on the second floor, which is called the upper room. John Mark lives in that house. And in that room met the Son of God on the night he was betrayed. The Last Supper happened in John Mark's house, upstairs. Not only did it happen, did that happen there, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared resurrection Sunday evening in that room. John Mark's house. Upstairs. There he is. Is John Mark always in the room at the time? Of course not. But he's there in the house and he sees a lot and he hears a lot. And not only was that the site of the post-resurrection appearances, two of them. How about the 120? Where are they waiting to be filled with the Holy Spirit to evangelize the world? In John Mark's house. Upstairs. And where do the tongues of fire begin? John Mark's house upstairs in that room where he grows up. This is privilege. This is an honor. And so, yeah, uh, privilege number three, 
family connections. Pastor Paul, Apostle Paul, Pastor Barnabas are called and sent out. Who is Barnabas? He's Uncle Barnabas. Colossians chapter 4 says that they're related, that John Mark's mom, there at the upper room, is Barnabas' sister. Barnabas and John Mark's mom are brother-sister. All right? So he's got a connection. It's like Greg Laurie's son or, or Franklin Graham. Or, you know, there's just like, whoa, you're what? You're related? Yeah, he's my uncle. He's got family connections. He's got the experience of seeing the son of God in his house all the time. And he's followed them around for three and a half years. This guy, listen, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. And when there's a, a great privilege, there comes great expectations. And so God expects John Mark to do well, maybe more than he might expect somebody else, born and raised and struggling with disadvantage, not advantage. Uh, because John Mark, you know what? He wasn't born into unbelief, an unbelieving family. Uh, his parents weren't drunks. Um, he wasn't raised in a basement apartment. No, the upper room was where he hung out. Um, in some pagan city, uh, enduring abuse, neglect, poverty, living in spiritual darkness. He wasn't born in a place like India where the kids are raised with this face of an elephant and eight arms and they're offering a goat in the back to the goddess of the region. He wasn't raised like that. He was raised with the Old Testament and godly people. So God looked down and said, you've got every advantage in the world. And what about us? Comparatively speaking to the two-thirds world, oh my word, when we fully realize what we were given, it's going to blow our minds. Two-thirds of the world in dire poverty in spiritual darkness and idolatry and us. So God just expects a lot. Good news for the less privileged and disadvantaged, those who rise and shine and excel and succeed despite your disadvantages. And I'm sure there's a lot in the room, including me. With the struggles we've had, the, the hand we got dealt Wow, amazing. When you overcome given that, wow, how much more commendable is that than somebody who took blessing and advantage and squandered it instead of building on it? Now, th this is a Bible hero. He's young. Perhaps he's 20. He's learning. He's growing. He's hit a speed bump. And really, the righteous, those right with God, fall seven times, the Proverbs say, but they get up. And John Mark's going to get up. And this isn't the last we're going to hear of him, as I've been taunting you and teasing you with. So note takers, we go from his privilege to his responsibilities there in verse 5. You see that he's a helper. I like the King James. It says he's their minister. And the minister there is where we sometimes use the word deacon. I, it means to be the under rower. I told you last week, down in the belly of the ship, those guys that kept the ship moving by their sweat equity, you see. And so in the sense there, he's on board to lighten their load so that they can do, and check this out, what the scriptures say God called them to do. Separate yourselves to me. Separate from everything else the need to support yourself with your own career. Separate yourself from that to full-time ministry for the task I've called you to. That's from the text. It, the, the calling to separate unto God for his work totally necessitates support. He has to have support, uh, Barnabas and uh, Paul, because they're giving themselves to studying the scriptures. They don't just go on a trip and say, hey, we've got a crowd tomorrow morning. Let's just pray that God open our mouths and fill it. No. 
That, that's called presuming upon God and being lazy. Because God says, study to show yourself approved by God. That you be skilled. When you handle the word of God, you are well prepared, well prayed up. You've searched the commentaries. You've been in the scripture for a week. And then you opened your mouth, you see. So John Mark's along to take away the menial tasks that distract them from doing what God called them to do. Now, it doesn't mean that they're <laughs> any menial tasks, the daily grind, the grunt work, is beneath them by any means. Christian character, and those men are men of God. They have Christian character. You will find them sweating and working and helping and carrying things. They're not afraid to do that. But when there's a couple hours in the evening, John Mark is the one who's cooking and cleaning and doing the laundry and taking care of business and preparing for the evening. Whether that means tents and campsites and all the work in first century Cyprus and southern Turkey. Oh my word, he's crucial. He's crucial and so... Yeah, you know, I have down written here. Just so you know, he's their servant, but the missionaries are not kicking back enjoying a sunny Mediterranean cruise, asking, hey, John Mark, fetch us another Arnold Palmer, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, that's not what's going on. Here's what's going on. Paul describes what it's like being a missionary in first century Roman Empire in my frequent journeys on mission trips, I've been in danger. This is the guy who's on the trip speaking years later. I've been in danger, 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 trouble, 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 labor, 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 toil, 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 toil. Troubles from bandits, robbers, criminals, in danger from my own brothers, my Jewish kinsmen, and from the nations, people who are not Jewish, in danger in the city and in the country in danger on the sea and the traveling and false brothers who slander and slip in and cause all kinds of heartaches on, all, on top of everything else. In labor, the word means to strain and to sweat. It's a strong word. And then to add toil to it is to strain and to sweat and to reach beyond your limits. Totally working with every fiber of your being. And often without sleep, Hunger, thirst, and often without food in cold and exposure. Where's John Mark? He got tired of it all and left them to do everything. I could have a panic attack thinking of the early days when you have to do this and the hospitality and the coffee and the cleaning and there's a trouble with the toilet and, and, and the accounting and the bookkeeping and the kids. And in the early days, you do have to do that. And then everyone expects you to get up and deliver something interesting and, and wonderful and inspiring. I would have loved to do that. But you know what? I was mowing the lawn. I was fixing this and fixing that. And then someone called me and said, you know, we're having a um, argument. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Come on over. All of that. Without John Mark, Without the John Marks here, I'm telling you what, this is impossible. Impossible. Just can't happen. That's why God gifts John Marks who love it and they're good at it. I, they don't love every single thing about serving. Serving is hard. Though Jesus said if you want to be great in heaven's eyes, then you'll be the best servant of all and consider everybody uh, at your disposal to serve. Then God would go, well, there's a great person right there. So John Mark, I don't know if he factored that in, that God was saying, look at how great John Mark is. He's along to do the grunt work. The grunt work means thankless tasks that lack glamour and prestige. They're boring and repetitive, but you've got to have them or life just falls apart. But it's the stuff nobody wants to do, right? <laughs> and so it's what is he doing? As I've been saying, he's running errands. He's carrying bags. He's digging the ditches. Something breaks. He, instead of them having to take two hours to figure out how this works, he goes, you guys, go away. Go take a prayer walk. Pull out the scrolls. I got this. You see? He's important. He's hauling and he's packing. He's arranging accommodations. Every night, where are we going to sleep? You guys, I told you, that's my job. 
will have a place to stay. You guys do what God has called you to do. Go into the village and start making relationships with people. And I'll worry about where we're spending the night because that's my job. So don't, don't, don't just think, you know, we think like in terms of 2022. You know, what's so bad? You know, one guy, you just text and say, hey, John's gone. Can you send someone else? <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way. In real life, and sorry, I go on a little bit long here, uh, but in, in real life, you try doing without the grunt work. Okay, you didn't fill up the gas tank. Why? Because, you know, who wants to stop and do the whole thing, you know? Uh, the dishes haven't been done, the clothes are spilling over in the hamper, you haven't done the banking, and the trash is, uh, hasn't been taken out for days. You're not going to just, you're just not going to, life's not going to flow. It's not going to be pretty. Uh, and so this is what's going on on the mission field setting. Uh, but how, what a real gift. What a real necessary, valuable, make it or break it gift that he provides. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so he's, John Mark's willing joyful presence is a real huge help. Uh, and then one day he wakes up and he says, hey guys, listen, I'm going home. I am going home. I'm out of here. I am so sorry, whatever, however it goes. Uh, and here comes the belly flop. Verse 13, 13, it's already there. It just one simple sentence. He leaves them to return to Jerusalem, to the upper room, to his mother, who's called Mary, not uh, the Virgin Mary, as it were, and uh, his father, if he's still uh, living. So privilege, responsibility, note takers, and then what went wrong? What went sideways? Hindsight's twenty twenty. I think it's a good idea to, to just kind of do do an analysis. What, what happened here? Let's do some detective work. Here's my question I have written down. How did John Mark get on the diving board in the first place? Who set him up for this? Well, the answer to that question is going to help us understand what led to his undoing, I think, in part. You see, on, well, there's one builder show that I like, Homes on Homes. Uh, Mike Holmes does this thing where he goes in, many of you are not, not nodding your heads, hopefully, Hopefully it's not because you're tired and sleeping, uh, but that you agree that you've seen this. Uh, he goes in to fix structural disasters that have um, arisen because of shoddy craftsmanship earlier. So he said something like, the best way to prevent a future structural failure is to build something soundly from the foundation up. You see, the best way to resolve a problem in a belly flop is to not to have one to begin with. Don't put him on the diving board. So perhaps one of the leaders, Paul or Barnabas, uh, dismissed some caution flags. Maybe an, uh, a, we used to call it a check in my spirit. Just don't feel quite right about it. It looks right. It feels okay. It looks promising. It's a nice idea. But did somebody just rush into it because, come on, look look at this. I mean, he's not two and three. We can look at two and three. And then how about the, uh, yeah, two and three. They're worshiping. They're at church. He says, set me apart, these two guys. They lay ha hands on them, and they send the two guys off. It's not until you're on Cyprus that you hear about the, who, who is John Mark. And I love the other one, too. I think it's four and five, where it says, and this is the Bible. The two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, just the two of them, excuse me, there's three people on the, on the trip, went down to the seaport, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrive at Cyprus, they proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, Mark, he's with them as their helper. Who got sent? The two of them sent by the Holy Spirit. That's twice. That's twice that said the Holy Spirit is calling two people. And then they called John Mark. There's probably reasons, and it's just too awkward. It is too awkward to not 
think that God is trying, wink, wink, how this guy get on, on, on board? So there he is. Um, perhaps the leaders presumed instead of prayed, maybe thinking with their feelings rather than practical wisdom. And the Bible speaks to such matters, does it not? First Timothy chapter 5, listen to this. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, granting spiritual authority to those who haven't been properly vetted or adequately tested. First Timothy 5, love that. Yeah, yeah, we all know. <laughs> love John Mark, everybody loves John Mark. He's, he's, he's a wonderful guy. He's seen Jesus. He lives in the house that has the upper room. But where has he been in charge of anything? Not in the Bible. Where has he had responsibility where people were depending on him and he was tried through ups and downs and ins and outs through good weather and bad weather, good times and not so good. Where's that? No. This is his, according to the Bible, first crack at it. And you put him on perhaps, arguably, the most important missions trip that ever was in the entire world, ever. Why? It's the first one. And you put him there with the question marks and no experience? Why? Well, he's my nephew, and he's, he grew up in the upper room. You know what his last name is, right? I mean, if that's how it could have gone. I'm just making some suggestions. One proverb says, enthusiasm without solid knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes, you see. So yeah, it just, uh, what is he doing here is the question of the day. Uh, several possibilities. Let's imagine Uncle Barnabas sees the young gun, his nephew. He sees his sister's eyes in his eyes and, and loves the kid. And he's so promising. He says, John Mark, you want to come on a trip of a lifetime? Come on, let's, let's mature this faith. Let's do this. Or did Paul ask Barnabas, what about that fired up nephew of yours, John Mark? Strong guy, he's fun to be around. He's got great potential. Maybe Paul thought so. We're going to need a hand. Or did John Mark watch some missionary movie and, and, and start to be moved? His imagination goes crazy and he's all emotional after a service or something and he pleads to, to his uncle, oh uncle, can I please come along and free you guys up? You won't have to worry about anything, none of the hard work. I'll carry the bags, I'll do this, I'll do that. All you guys got to do is worry about praying and preaching and evangelizing. You can count on me. And they said, yeah. They said, yes. Nothing sinful or necessarily wrong with going with a happy turn of providence that makes you feel good and you start to think, oh, wow, man, this is awesome. And we joke around, like when, when something wonderful just happens and people say, well, pray about it. Uh, you know, I remember when I was uh, at Calvary Chapel Petaluma, uh, I was also working a full-time job. And the, at Heald College, it was day one of the summer break for two weeks. It was day one. I get a phone call on day one. Hey, Ross, uh, there's a fishing trip. 12 guys going to Alaska. It normally costs $2,500, but one guy broke his ankle yesterday. He paid the whole way, and he wants to gift it to somebody. So would you like, and can you, I know you work as a teacher, can you come, and I said, you're not going to believe this, but today's day one of a two-week vacation, and let me pray about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Did that happen? Because sometimes the uh, yeah is okay. It makes sense, and it was a beautiful fishing trip, but I did tell the second service that I did make a few enemies uh, on that trip. Wink, wink. Uh, what happened was I had what do you call beginner's luck? Every time I walked near a body of water, the fish were jumping out. All right, I had them everywhere. They're flying everywhere, big ones, you know, the biggest ones, the most, you know. And at first they're like, whoa, oh, praise God, look at that. And then after a while they were like, whatever. 
And then I'm like, uh, you're not cleaning my fish. They go, bro, you catch them, you clean them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah, it may be, maybe that happened. One writer said, warm fuzzies do not a trustworthy guide make. You need more than warm fuzzies. I love warm fuzzies. Who doesn't? And oftentimes God uses them. But you've got to have more. And if you don't have more, the good Lord help you if you're using the warm fuzzies to find your soulmate. The good Lord help you. Because you need more than warm fuzzies. You're going to need calling and confirmation and moral fortitude and a love for God. That's what you're going to need. So don't just go with the warm fuzzies and maybe, maybe they did. Uh, they love that kid. He's charming. He's attractive. He's strong. It's fun to be around. It starts rising. Come on. So Barnabas gives him a big yes and an even bigger hug. And I imagine, and this is funny, uh, I'm just warning you. This is funny, all right? I'm, I'm about to say something funny. Uh, Paul, <laughs> Paul nods and says, yeah, sure. I think Paul's smart smart. And I think Paul might have had an inkling. Uh, but as Paul nods, yeah, sure, you can come. Uh, Paul is stacking the suitcases by himself while Barnabas and John Mark are busy chatting <laughs> over there. I think that's funny. And the reason I had to tell you that is because Second Service didn't respond either when I said that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, we're here to help. And then you're like doing the work and looking at them like, uh, remember what you just said about helping? Uh, you know, as you move the table across, whatever. Okay. I, I think you get the point here. So, so he's been working and he's been working, but something's brewing. Something's not right. And he's waking up and he's battling it. He's going to bed at night. He's struggling. He's making the arrangements. He's running the errands. Every morning they pray together and then he goes about the, the hard work. Until one day he just looks at them and goes, I'm done. I'm done. Can't do it anymore, guys. I am so sorry. Goodbye. And he goes home. So yeah, verse 13 there for just John leaves them. He goes AWOL. That means absent without leave. Permission. Right? Um, absent from your post where people are depending on you. Uh, so we move note takers, privilege, responsibilities, uh, how he ended up on the team, and then now his desertion. Now how do I know that it's as bad as desertion? Because that's what Paul calls it two chapters from now. When they're done with the trip, they come all the way back to Antioch. Two years have gone by and God stirs their hearts to go back and check on them. And here's what happens. Chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, two years, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back, visit the believers in all those towns. True, we almost died there, but let's go back. Uh, we, we were preaching the word of God. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wants to take John, nephew. Let's give him a second chance. But Paul didn't think it smart to take him again because he had deserted. That is a very strong word. Now we're starting to understand what went on there, okay? He, and the word is associated. Not only did he desert, he had not continued with them. It's just another way to say this is a bad thing. The word has a nuance to depart from faith, to abandon the gospel. I don't think he's abandoning the gospel or the faith. He's abandoning them. But the word choice is so to make you see this is serious. This is not godly. This is total sinful nature, self-absorbed uh, life is going on here. And so there's a distant um, fallout that's going to happen since this text is up. There's immediate struggle when he leaves. And then there's the far off struggle. Because self-centered living is a gift that keeps giving. And so a couple years later, his choice to abandon his responsibility will be the cause of the separation and the falling out of two of the greatest men of God that ever lived, the Apostle Paul 
and Pastor Barnabas. And what's going to happen is, is that Paul is going to say, no way, I'm done. I'm taking Silas and going north. He says, fine, I'll take my nephew and go to Cyprus. Now, they never are seen again, Barnabas and Paul together. And the story follows Paul, not Barnabas. So we might see who God thinks made the right choice there. So he takes Silas and he goes. Um, But there are a lot of good things that are going to come from this. Number one, we've got double the missionary effort now. And that's called multiplication by division. God's math. All right. So God's silver lining, Romans 8, 28, he's, he's doing his thing. Now, instead of two missionaries, we've got four, right? So God's got his way and not to mention, but let's talk about the morning he left or the evening he left. What was the immediate impact? Well, instead of spending the evening getting ready for tomorrow with jotting down notes and studying the scriptures and praying, you know how they're spending the evening? How does this fit into that? I don't know. That was John Mark's thing. Oh, well, we don't know how to do that. Well, where does he keep this, <laughs> these utensils? Yeah, it's over there in the bags of where. Well, this doesn't fit into this thing. I know that's his thing. So they're hindered. Oh, they're cleaning, they're cooking. Did you go to the market? No, I thought you went to the market. Oh, well, we got to go to the market. Well, actually, I have an appointment downtown with that guy, and I was going to share the gospel with him. But yeah, no, you can't, because you got to do what John Mark was supposed to do. Do you see? He left them high and dry, and there's a million, a million inconveniences. And what about the discouragement? You're hurting. You're vulnerable. You miss home. You're sick. You're not feeling good. And then on top of that, you have to deal with somebody's immaturity uh, like that. It's awful. And so why, oh, why, John Mark, did you do it? There are always reasons for our little belly flops, and we like to hide our responsibility by telling you why we did the belly flop, as if that matters, right? Uh, You did the belly flop because you're responsible for it, because you don't know how to dive, all right, there's a, you know there's a problem, and so uh, if you steal because you're hungry, yeah, thanks for telling us you were super hungry, so you stole. Guess what? We can understand that, but it's not an excuse. You're gonna still have consequences, right? So we we just love to just point the you know here's what happened. I'll tell you why I did it. How about just tell you tell us you did it and you're sorry, and you repent of it, and you're growing, and you realize you hurt a lot of people. How about that instead of saying, I was super hungry, okay, so I had to. Come on, time to grow up. Uh, Number one, homesick. Okay, yeah, guess what? Everybody's homesick, man. But we put our feelings aside when we say yes to God. How about praying more or quoting some scriptures or just hanging in there? People are depending on you. Overwhelmed. Okay, we get that too. The encounter with a sorcerer, that was not easy. And, and we've traveled what? A thousand miles? How many converts you got? I'm writing home, dear mom and dad, the thousands of shekels we've invested and the thousands of miles and all of this hard work and we're all sick and all of this for one person. One person. That's all that's gotten safe so far. One guy. Is this what he's like, what are we doing this for? One guy? Yeah. Guess what? Jesus would come down and die on a cross for one soul. I would do this for one person sitting there. I would. You guys know me. I would. I have. (laughs) I have had one person sitting there just about in the early days. And so, yeah, we get it. Physical work was more than you expected. Okay. Isn't it always? You just think, oh, we're just going to take out this cupboard and move this over here. And what, Rob? Isn't it? It's a disaster, right? Rob, come on. I'm talking to you. You're a builder, right? Okay. Well, you're not paying attention? Just checking. All right. (laughs) Moving on. Now that I ruined that friendship. Oh, let's see. Not, uh, maybe he's not feeling good. He's a kosher boy. Where's he going to find kosher food? Nowhere. He's gluten-free on top of that. 
<laughs> Moving on. Always, yeah, how about praying? How about quoting? They that wait upon the Lord, John Mark, will renew their strength. They'll mount up his wings as eagles. They'll walk and not grow weary. They'll run and not faint. Why not say that to yourself, man? Come on. Fears and doubts. There's a mountain range right when you get to southern Turkey. Paul wants to go to Galatia. We know that, i.e. Galatians. He's going. It's up and over mountain pass. Hard to do. Maybe that freaked him out. More than that, when you look up Perga, you see notorious for armed robbers. What they do is they go in the middle of the mountain range where there can be no help, and they just kill you and take your stuff. John Mark knows this, and he's like, for, for, for one guy. We've only touched, saved one guy, and we're going to risk our lives going over the mountain. It's hard to travel and all of that. And I got the bags and all, who knows? And then one more, the disease. You look up Perga, ancient day, first century, and you're going to get malaria. Malaria was really well known right in that spot. Scholars all suggest this. We sense from other verses that Paul had malaria and that malaria he got there and it affected his eyes in a disfiguring way, which malaria can do. Makes ugly, festering sores and he can't see very well. And now on top of all of their troubles, now Paul has malaria. And then he leaves. Which makes it all the more worse. And that's usually, isn't it? Does this sound familiar? Some of your biggest disappointments happen at the time you could use them the most. The time that you really super need encouragement. It, it's incredible. It's like that's the time that the rug gets pulled. It's like, and God says, look to me. You know, God allows us stuff. He says, look to me. Oh, I'm going to strengthen you through this. Oh, you're going to grow in ways you could have never grown unless this happened at this vulnerable time for you. That's an amazing thing to me. But it really bugs me that if Paul did have malaria and to leave right then, that just really does bug me. I love the King James <laughs> version of this scripture from Proverbs 24 that says, if thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is too small. Most people read that and go, duh. Like, what does that even mean? It, it means, come on, man. Are you kidding me? You have God in your life and you have a little trouble and you just, will too, no. That's what that means. It means, are you kidding me? Your strength, what, what are, you, are you? One writer said, he's famous for his commentary on Proverbs. He said, great men and women do not quit. They just don't. They may have their moments. They hit their speed bumps for sure. But ultimately, they overcome. They set aside their own emotions, their own offenses, the difficulties. They ignore tiredness and fight opposition. They expect adversity, so they prepare accordingly, and they will resist unto the death. And when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Not home to mom. That expression means they get going, going. Like, come on. This, I'm going to dig in. I'm not going anywhere in the name of Jesus. You come at me with swords and weapons and your big armor of nine feet, Mr. Goliath, but I, <laughs> I come after you in the name of the Most High God, whom you are insulting. You are going down. That's what should be happening. And the proverb says, why aren't you like that? Is God your father or not? Did God say, ask me, and boom, I'm there. Did God say, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you? Well, how about now? <laughs> how about when you're, you're digestive system, you haven't slept, and then they throw in another thing. They say, was he offended by Paul? What happened? They say, look at chapter 12. It's Barnabas and Paul, meaning Barnabas was leading. Barnabas was leading. And chapter 13 Suddenly, on the trip, God makes it clear it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, always. Never the other way. So Uncle Encouragement, that's what Barney's his nickname is, Encouragement. Uncle Soft, Warm, Nice, Merciful, 
who's saying, hey, we don't have to go up the mountain past the Galatia. Now Paul's in charge. Oh, no. We are going up and over those mountains. I don't care that I have malaria because we're going to Galatia, i.e. Galatians. We wouldn't have that book. And John Mark say, Uncle Barnabas is dangerous. I know. He's in charge. Is that what's going on? I don't know. But we do know one thing. It went from Barnabas leading to Paul leading. And John Mark is his nephew who got displaced. And Paul isn't warm fuzzy. Paul's the kind of guy, boom, we got a world to save. I got to write 13 New Testament books. I don't have time for, you know, hugs and kisses at the moment. All right. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, let's finish up. We're closing in here now. The departure. He goes off uh, home a thousand miles by land. Now, this is test number one, and scholars say he prevails because he's already going to be on the road to becoming a hero. But it's going to be a test. How, How so? The parents of the upper room, if we can call them that, the church, they don't expect him back for two years. He's back in six months. What happened? Are you okay? What about the guys? How are you going to frame it, John Mark? It's super embarrassing and humiliating if you just tell him, I just got homesick and left him hanging there. They're on their own out there, no helpers. Why? Because uh, I care about me and my conveniences and comfort. He probably did say something like that because he's a man of God that ends up as an unbelievable Bible hero. That's the first step out of a belly flop is own it. Don't tell us how it happened and all the reasons why it really wasn't a belly flop. Just own it. Turn from it. Let God show you stuff through it. And then repair, confess, be honest, cry it out in the upper room with all the elders around laying hands on you and just saying, it's okay, it's okay. While he sobs, I let them down. I promised them and now they're out there. Yeah, that's healing. Do it. Instead of pointing, well, I tried so hard, mom and dad, to get along with Paul, okay? But when he took over the trip, all right, they could, he could frame it. And don't you think for a second he wasn't tempted to mitigate the shame of his abandonment and desertion by painting it on circumstances or on people, right? But like I said, everybody's saying he probably did the right thing. Because as we wrap up here, we're going to see some beautiful evidence. 20 years, fast forward, Paul writing of this narrative to Philemon. And in verse 24, he says, greet my fellow co-labors, very warm language. And he lists a few guys. And then he says, and John Mark. He's in the list of his warm-hearted compadres. And what I love even better is 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul's on death row. He's ready to have his head cut off by Nero. And here's some of his last words. It is his last word. It's chapter 4. He only has three sentences left after this in his whole life. And he says, you know who I need the most? John Mark. Because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Okay, what has happened in 20 years? Paul has softened. He's more of a hugger than he used to be. He's, he's, he's able to uh, move closer to John Mark and those who need a little bit of extra grace. And when John Mark ran into him and said, oh man, Pastor Paul, I did a terrible thing. And he probably didn't even get the words out through the sobbing. And Paul's all over him. And, there, and there's reconciliation. And that's what happened. And because he handled himself well through the years, and here's the other key. You just keep serving. You go forward. You don't sit around and try to figure things out. You can go to a therapist while you're serving. Keep being productive. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep having Christian friends. Keep serving. Keep opening your home. Keep coming to church. Can I help? 
That's what he did. And lo and behold, God says to him, John Mark, you're not going to be remembered as the belly flop in Acts 13. You know how we're going to remember you? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's the John Mark of Mark. This is beautiful. The Bible confirms it. Paul and Timothy, that relationship, Timothy's his mentor. Peter's Timothy is John Mark. And Peter tells us this. He says, John Mark is my son in the faith. So for 20 years, he's hanging out with Peter. He's not great friends with Paul. He's better friends with Peter. And Peter's his spiritual father. And Peter is downloading three and a half years and taking fragments from this source and this source, pulling it all together. And out comes Mark's gospel. And now the story of redemption from belly flop to the writer of one of the gospels. Praise God for his redeeming love. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, oh, we thank you, God for putting up with our belly flops, you know all of the ones we've committed and the ones we <laughs> to come, sadly, some of them. And we pray, God, that you would heal us of that tendency, Lord, that we would just let your Holy Spirit change us and equip us in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.